Hello, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, also known as NARC Troopers. If you like today's episode, visit NARC Troopers, where you will find um, over 125 articles about recovery. You will also find the podcast channel with nearly 100 podcast episodes and a video vlog. Today's title is Stuck in the Badlands. Stuck in the Badlands, the Black Hole After Narcissistic Abuse. There was a prayer that we were all taught when we were children, and it went like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That came back to me recently as I was lying in bed one night trying to get to sleep. And I just thought, you know, it's been almost two years since the end of my marriage to a narcissistic psychopath. And in the aftermath of his departure, I suffered a complete collapse of all systems that just shut down and went to black. It was like turning off a computer. Cognitive dissonance clouded my mind so that I was shrouded in a fog of torment and agony. Crippling panic attacks were disabling and unlike anything I had ever experienced. It was a full body thing, you know, it involved everything, mind, body, soul, spirit, heart, all of it. Dysregulated brain chemicals, physiological symptoms, insomnia, panic disorders, intense anxiety, you get the picture. It was equivalent to a withdrawal from something like heroin or fentanyl or something. The addiction was bigger than me, and it just swallowed me up. He was like a black hole, and I fell headfirst into that nothingness. You know, stellar black holes form when the center of a very massive star collapses inwards upon itself. This collapse also causes a supernova, or an exploding star, that blasts Part of the star into space. He was that shiny, sparkly star until something happened to transform him. Black holes whose gravitational, they're like, well, they're, they are gravitational monsters and they're named this because no light can escape their clutches. They are by far the most mysterious objects in the universe these black holes could even be dark stars and home to some kind of weird exotic physics that we don't even know about. It's incomprehensible, and we're just beginning to study those kinds of things. It's a phenomena for sure. I just know one thing. When his mirror, his facade, when his false persona um, exploded into a trillion shards of sharp fragments that became the, the darkness. It sliced me 
into pieces and impaled me through and through. It's like I died a death of a million wounds that all happened in an instant as I stood paralyzed with shock. But what happens when you try to come back to life? That's, that's the question I'd like for you to think about. What happens when you have been discarded by a narcissist, a psychopath, or a sociopath, or some combination of those things? What happens when you try to come back to life? When you try to climb out of that black hole, when you try to recapture pieces of who you thought you were before the storm, you know, when you try to resurrect some kind of functional human that can experience life through the lens of hope and joy instead of through the lens of despair and hopelessness. What happens when you get stuck in the badlands? Indigenous peoples described a piece of a place of, you know, um, sort of rocky terrain, lack of water, very rugged, extreme temperatures, very difficult, almost impossible to navigate. And it was called the Makosika. This Makosika is now known as Badlands. And yes, absolutely, we can get trapped in something like this, which is an emotional wasteland, an emotional um, place that is difficult, if not impossible, to navigate. So that's why I said that. That's, that's what I call the space where you have had the time to educate yourself and figure out exactly what has happened, what has transpired. You've had time to sit with your grief, to cry until there were no more tears, to curl up in a fetal position and pray for death to end the suffering, you know, like now I lay me down to sleep. Um, you know, after all of that, there is supposed to be some kind of resurrection, restoration, some something like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. There's supposed to be a reconstitution of self and identity. After all that loss, when you let go of it, there's something else that's supposed to come in and fill up all those empty spaces. But what if it doesn't? What if you're still just as empty as your narcissist psychopath? What if you really suddenly understand how they feel and why they have to feed and why they have to chase fuel, and why they are so false. Because they're dead inside. They're just going through the motions, trying to act like everything's okay, mimicking and parroting and mirroring their partner, drinking up all of that delicious fuel, that they do that until they're full, and they can feel like a real person for a little while. So I think, in a way, something that feels like that happens to us after we have been with them and after we've been thrown away by them. 
I haven't felt like a person who, you know, was in control of things for almost two years now. I have felt gutted, eviscerated, as if I was sliced open and everything just came spilling out. You know, after about a year of the most epic fight of my life, a fight like I've I've never had to experience anything like that. I felt like I should start trying to at least go through the motions of appearing to be recovered. My friends had all moved on. The, the people, after a year that I met initially in the recovery support groups, there were meetups and groups uh, through the church and through meetups and through other organizations for recovery from narcissistic abuse and things like that. And, you know, the people that I met there, yeah, well, I, I'm friends with two of them now. One of them is clearly moved on. And, you know, she had a little bit of a head start. She had a heads up before it happened. She knew. So maybe she's about a year ahead of me in that way. Um, the other person that I met in the group, she's about where I am. We're, we're about at the same place, and it's just so slow going. And, you know, none of us are youngsters. <laughs> you know, we're all older women who were married, all, all three of us married for a long time, for, you know, 15, 20 years we were married to these people. And um, so it's, it's hard, you know, you, you feel like you need to, be making all this progress to keep up with the progress that other people are making because you don't want to fall behind and have them looking at you like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not getting better? Why are you still stuck at this phase or that phase? And why are you still having this symptom and that symptom? And why are you still having PTSD symptoms? And so there's some pressure there, peer pressure to hurry up and get over it. Just like there's pressure from the neurotypical people, you know, the regular ones who go through regular divorces and breakups and they have no freaking clue what this is. This is something else entirely. This isn't just a breakup or uh, a failed relationship. This is trauma. It's abuse. It's in the brain. It's in the body. It's, it's something entirely different. And, but you feel like that, you know, you feel like you have to, to get up, get on, and do it pretty quick. So for me, I had a few dates. I've had a few dates. I've engaged in some chatter. I've given some hugs, and I've tried my best to feel something, just to feel, to feel something, anything, just some sign of life that I'm still human and still part of this world. You know, it didn't have to be anything exciting or, you know, all butterflies and getting dizzy with infatuation and rapid heartbeat and having like arrhythmias when I look at them, you know, like all of that. Just anything to show that there was still a pulse in my body, you know, that some sign of life. But what I discovered was that somewhere in that first year, that I lost myself to the darkness. And in the year that has followed, 
I still haven't managed to revive that inner soul that vibrates in all living things. She is dead for all practical purposes, just flatlined on the table, unresponsive, no matter how many times they they shoot electricity into her trying to bring her back. She's gone. And I'm speaking about that part of myself that I lost. It's just it's just like him. He was never really there anyway. He was always dead inside. No pulse, no heart, no compassion, no empathy, no guilt, no nothing. He was never really there. But I was. I was. I was real and filled with feeling and and emotion. I was the poster child for unconditional love, loyalty, fidelity, selflessness, devotion, empathy, all that stuff. But you know, it didn't matter. He couldn't feel it. He didn't even know what it was, this thing called love. That thing that makes the whole world go round, he just didn't get it for him. You know, it's just something that you fake to get what you want. That's what love was to him. Or it's lust, that infatuated, powerful feeling of, you know, where you have all that energy and all, all of that. And, you know, that's, that's not love either. That's, that's lust. So coming up on two years, this is May 2021, and, you know, coming up on June 2021, it's going to be two years. He left in June 2019. That seems like so long ago, you know, Uh, and I tell you, After that much time, looking back at everything, every miserable moment of suffering and all of that, I I want to join, join the living, you know. I want to step into the sunlight, to feel the warmth on my face, to feel alive, to look up at the blue sky and be glad to be alive. I practice gratitude, but it's for a list of wishful thinking and um, sort of a lame list of things that I should be grateful for, but that really don't even matter that much to me anymore. What is it going to take for something to breathe life back into me? You know, to reanimate me, to flip the switch and activate me once more. There have been so many people that have come and gone in these past two years in my life, friends and helpers, church supporters and well-wishers, colleagues and work buddies, potential lovers and opportunistic predators, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They all came to see the show. You know that show, the one where you're on fire and you're burning, and everyone's watching it happen. You know, some of them look on with horror, some with curiosity, some maybe even with envy. Some of them want to help, but are scared to get too close 
for fear that they will catch on fire themselves. Some of them just gawk and stare and take out their cell phone to capture pictures of the burning lady so they can post them on social media. Sylvia Plath, one of my favorite writers, she said something about the peanut-crunching crowd that shoves in to see the show. They would gather to watch her struggle with a mixture of amusement and sensationalist tabloid mentality. What a strange thing to watch another person decompose in front of your eyes, to just melt into a puddle like the Wicked Witch of the, from the Land of Oz. Yeah, well, what's next? What about the coda and the final curtain call? He was my magnum opus. Nothing could follow that. I want them to stop looking and whispering and conjecturing and judging. I want them to stop talking about it like one who cannot avert their eyes from a deadly accident by the side of the road, bloodied, broken body splayed on the asphalt. Why did, why did they have to look? You know, give us some dignity. There should be some kind of respect or decorum for the dead, whether literal or metaphorical. Either way, they are mortally wo wounded and injured and on their way out. Cover them. Cover them up with a crisp white sheet. Treat them kindly. Allow them some privacy. Give their loved ones some support. So here's what I think we have to do. I think we have to accept that this person that we are addicted to, like heroin, that we've been through this cyclical pattern of intermittent reinforcement kind of abuse, brainwashing and cult-like indoctrination, that person you know, the one that's going to kill us, just like heroin's going to kill us. We have to accept that, that they're deadly for us. And that's the only way it's ever going to end, is that they, they kill us, either literally if we stick around, or metaphorically if we get away or just get thrown away. You know, if you can't stop the addiction, the attachment disorder, all your abandonment issues, or possibly even maybe you've got something more serious like a dependent personality disorder, who knows? But if you can't manage those things, get treatment, heal your inner wounding child and all of that, if you can't do it, then then these cluster C people um, that we are, the cluster C are these, is what I just mentioned, cluster C are your dependent people who have attachment disorder and abandonment issues. If we can't manage these things, let me just say, it's going to end badly. It's going to end badly. The worst part and for me, this is the worst part, is that you take down everyone around you, with you, when you go down. It's not an isolated, solitary thing. 
You know, if it were, that might be a game changer, but it's not. You know, when when you are in such pain, you have to know that the people who love you are hurt by that. Have you forgotten how to feel empathy for others, even though your narcopath has none for you? You want to be careful not to become like them because you've been hurt, because everything feels numb and dead inside. You're injured, but you're not hardwired since early childhood to be that. You know, maybe you did go through some kind of horrific thing when you were a child, and maybe you are damaged like they were damaged and went through something horrific. But, you know, something happened back then. They turned right. You turned left. And when they went to the right, they they murdered themselves. So they wouldn't hurt anymore. That's what they had to do. They had to kill themselves so they to stop the pain. And then even though their body survived it, their emotional, mental, spiritual selves did not. But you, you went the other direction and you swore to yourself, I'm going to make it my life's mission that I'm going to help people who have this happen to them. I'm going to try to make the world a better place and ease suffering and I'm going to be an empath and I'm going to be sensitive to other people's pain and suffering so that I can help heal them. And so people who come from those terrible origins, they make those choices way back then, way back when they were little, you know, when they were five, when they were four, when they were six, they go left or they go right. I think we have to know that. Um, We hurt other people when we are in pain. So what do we do? when we just can't, when we just can't do better because there's no pulse, your heart has stopped. What do we do then? Because I know I feel like that a lot of the time these last two years, like my heart just stopped that day and it has not worked properly since. Um, Here's the hard truth. And I think it could be this way for you. At least it's this, this is my truth. I'm a junkie with dysregulated and maladaptive parts of my personality that I can't manage very well. I acknowledge that and I try to leverage these tools to maintain some control and sanity, but it's all I can do because I'm a junkie and not an addict in the sense that they are. Because they're, they're, they have addictions too. We are addicted to that um, brain chemical, to the, to the neurobiology of what has happened to us. So that we stuck around because of the dopamine flooding our brains when they showed us just a little bit of kindness or sweetness. And that's what we got addicted to. And when you have suffered, when you've been humiliated, degraded, 
you're hyper vigilant, always having to watch them, check on them. What are they doing? Who are they with? Are they doing something crazy? Are they doing something dangerous? Are they doing something stupid? Are they doing something to go to jail? You're always hyper vigilant. You're, those chemicals are flowing. You're, you're in a heightened sense of danger all the time. All the time. You live with that heightened sense of danger. Let me tell you, that does a number on your brain and on the chemicals in your brain and on your health, physically, mentally, spiritually. Of course, it impacts you in a negative way. So what do I do about this? You know, what do I do to remedy this? Well, here's some things that I do. I can't just give up. I have children and they're watching. So I have to try to make a plan to survive every day. First of all, I try to be optimistic and find something to look forward to or plan towards. I try to be kind to myself and to others. Maybe the thing that you should look forward to is something simple, like one of those Asian snow cones, you know, with the condensed milk and the little jellies, you know, that go on top of it. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. You should look it up. It's There's shaved ice and condensed milk and all kinds of crazy goodness. It's like the best thing you will maybe ever have in this life. Or maybe a, just a bubble tea. Keep it simple. Get some little taro bubble pearls and some flavor, exotic flavor like taro. I've also heard people say taro. Not sure which one works, but uh, it's purple. It's a root vegetable. It's yummy. Maybe you could just read your favorite book or watch your favorite show, but just find something small to anticipate from sunup to sundown and sprinkle your day with those little things. I keep little bites of dark chocolate that have coffee crystals in them. <laughs> so it gives me just a little bit of jolt of like, hello. And at the same time, it's yummy. And dark chocolate is good for your heart. Maybe it's good for broken hearts. So then you start planning. Like, what are you going to do for today? And then what are you going to do for this week? And before long, you can plan a little bit longer term goals. What are you going to do from month, a month from now, three months from now? What's your plan for the next six months? And then, you know, keep going from there. You start building a new person with these plans, just like Tinker Toys or Legos, right? Legos or Lincoln Logs. You're snapping little pieces together every day. You're building, you're rebuilding. So you just start putting them together. And then you just let it happen naturally because you can't rush it. When these friends of mine seem to be making more progress than me, not all of them are. I'll just mention that. They're some worse off than me. But for the ones who are making more progress and, and having success and that kind of thing, you know, I, um, I don't compare myself to them. Maybe for a moment it makes me feel like I need to move faster through this. But in the end, I know I'm doing the best I can at my own pace. And when I'm through it, I'm through it. When I'm over it, I'm over it. And it's not today. And it may not be tomorrow. And it's been almost two years of my life I have been 
in recovery, but this isn't, you know, you have to remind yourself, this is not your normal average thing. It's just not. I had, I, this was my second marriage. I was married before, back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And I know what it is to have your heart broken because he broke my heart then, back in the 80s. But it wasn't a narcissistic, psychopathic dynamic with the whole cult brainwashing and brain chemicals and trauma in the body and addiction and intermittent reinforcement and all that. It wasn't that. It was a, a, just a regular divorce. We had two small children. It took me probably 14 months, I think, before I actually started going out, feeling like I had put the worst behind me, feeling hopeful about a future, maybe with someone else and started dating and started thinking about, you know, what my life would be like, that it would be okay without him. Sure. <laughs> that is not this. That recovery is not this kind of recovery. So, so it's been two years and I'm still not there. Okay. I accept that. And, and you should too. Maybe you should just stick your feet in a swimming pool. Watch your children, all sweaty and covered in popsicle juice, running barefoot through the wet grass and try to remember what that felt like. Um, you know, before you had all this happen, maybe gradually, ever so slowly, so slow you won't even notice it. Maybe you will come back. And uh, you'll have, you'll have, um, you'll let go of these things that torment you and cause so much pain. I think you're always going to have memories about the person that you had this relationship with, but maybe over time it all fades and you forget just like you do with a regular breakup. You, it fades and you forget like you forget how they smell and the way it felt when they touched you, or the way their voice sounded in the dark. You forget it all. And when you forget it, um, there's a kind of freedom that comes from that. Um, and then that's when you can really feel like, yeah, um, I'm going to be okay. There is life after this thing. Um, so I think that that's what you have to do. Um, one little step at a time. Plan and find things to look forward to. Find things to enjoy. So, because that's really how you're going to move forward. You know, that's how you're going to start building a new person with these plans. That's how you're going to reconstitute yourself as a newer, better version of the person before and before you know it before you know what's happening your heart starts beating again yeah and you stop starving starving and withering just shriveling and you start laughing and expanding growing you know i think that that's what's going to happen for all of us who are trying to recover from some traumatic abusive relationship, it's just going to take a little while. 
we have to wait. Be patient. Just enjoy those small things along the way. You know, the way your cat makes biscuits on your chest when you're trying to wake up in the morning. That first sip of coffee in all of its delicious splendor. The way the air outside smells like rain. And you can experience that without thinking about him. These are all small blessings that move us inch by inch, day by day, a little closer to that finish line. We have to let go of the shared fantasy, the magical thinking, delusions, all of that, and look reality square in the face. That's something that your abuser could never do. They're not capable. They, they don't even know what that is. They're, they don't have the same rule book that we have. They don't live in the same reality that we do. But we do live in reality, so we have to look at it, accept it, deal with it. Sometimes that's not easy. We should develop gratitude. You know, it could always be worse. And each of, each of us has, has things to be grateful for. You have to believe that things happen in your life that are going to be opportunities for growth. Take advantage of them. Seize that opportunity to learn whatever it is that you need to learn to heal yourself on a deeper level. And that's where all the answers come from. You've got them inside of you. Stop looking outside yourself for validation or for answers because it's not there. You know, you're not terminally, eternally dead. You're just wounded. So you have to get up and keep going. You turn inwards and you turn upwards. You know, all you need is a little flicker of hope, just a tiny little speck, a spark. And then you can build a fire that becomes a conflagration you have nothing else to lose that makes you dangerous in a way and it makes you powerful. So my friends shine on, shine on and let your ability to love make you whole. It's as simple as that. We are capable of love. So we love we love others, we love ourselves, we love ourselves back to wellness. We are reality rooted. They aren't, we are. So we stand firmly in reality and come up with good, rational, logical, healthy plans to move forward. And then we just get through today and enjoy it the best we can. Hey guys, I think I'm going to go head out and look for one of those um, snow cones at uh, Tipioca. That's where I go. Uh, and they're like Asian snow cones. Some of them, they call them Japanese snow cones. Some of them are called Thai snow cones. Go look it up. Find the place nearest to you that has one. Uh, some places they call them flurries and it's shaved ice with the flavor and the condensed milk. Oh my gosh, my mouth is watering. Okay, guys, that's going to be my joy for today. And it's going to sustain me. It's going to give me, give me happiness. And, and I know that I'm going to be okay. 
and everyone around me will benefit from that. Hold that thought and let's go get a treat. Okay, y'all have a great day. Bye.